I'm okay with singing five. Hallelujah. Um, while the orchestra's taking their seat, I just, music just gets, gets to me. It just gets to me. I was uh, finally downloaded Spotify. I know that's old news for many of you, but I'm an old guy, you know, by, and I clicked uh, an Easter station, and you don't know what's coming up, you know, and I know you know about all that. This is all new stuff to me, you know, and but man, one one song came on, and it was an oldie but a goodie, an oldie, I, and and you just start bre- just breaking out in tears, walking around the Sims track. It's uh, I'm thankful for music. I'm thankful for our music leaders. I'm thankful for God's good gifts to us, and uh, so Amen. Alrighty, new life verse this month. This month, uh, new month of April, Romans six four, very fitting. Uh, for Easter Sunday, Romans 6, verse 4, let's say this together. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. And our sermon text uh, is from Colossians chapter 2, uh, possibly not a typical Easter uh, text that you would think about, but I think you'll see the connection as we uh, go through the message together to together today. And you need to work with me. Yeah, on Easter Sunday, you got to work with me this morning because uh, we're going to be looking at some uh, very theological things, spiritual things, and it's connection to uh, the resurrection. Colossians chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 11. Listen, listen attentively as I read. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses And the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray together. Father, give us fresh insight into this glorious text today. Help us leave here today understanding a little bit better, just a little bit better. Confessing we'll never understand it perfectly with our feeble minds, but understanding just a little bit better what it means to be crucified and risen with Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, our King, and our friend. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. To introduce this morning's message, which will be a two-parter, by the way, because of the five songs. No, not really. Just, uh, two-parter, two-parter was planned all, all along. Uh, but uh, to introduce this, I want to read several texts of Scripture that I pray will, will set the stage for what I want to present this Easter morning, and then finishing up next Sunday. And I'm so grateful for Ryan and your diligent preparation for our corporate prayer and how 
those phrases kind of gave us the whole picture. And that's kind of what I want to do with these, with these scriptures today. Uh, the first one is from the Old Testament, a prophecy in Isaiah 53, verses 10 through 12. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The phrases I want you to stick in the back of your mind uh, for uh, future in, the, in a few moments is he was numbered with transgressors. He makes intercession for the transgressors and he make, will make many to be accounted righteous. Now let's go to the Matthew 27. Matthew 27, beginning at verse 32. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall. But when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, King of the Jews. Then two robbers, main characters in today's message, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now, if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Now, what I want to emphasize in that passage is both robbers who were crucified with him were reviling Jesus. Both of them. They had joined in with the crowd of mockers and revilers. Okay, now let's go to Luke 23. Luke 23 starting at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? 
and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So both robbers were mocking him. Now only one robber is mocking Jesus and one is defending him. One is belittling Jesus and the other is recognizing his sinlessness. This man has done nothing wrong. One thief is reviling Jesus. The other is now recognizing his royalty by asking him to remember him when he comes into his kingdom, acknowledging that he is a king. Something drastic has happened in the life of one of these crucified thieves. There can be no question about it. And what has happened, beloved, is what Easter is all about. And we'll come back to that. Let's continue reading about the miracle of Easter, uh, going to Mark's account in uh, Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, starting at verse 33. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hear it, and it said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Our kids rockers know what that's about. Ask them about that when you get home today. We talked about it Wednesday. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought, bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and, the mother, and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Finally, let's hear Matthew 
tell us about that first Easter morning in Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I read that to give you the history. That's the history of this weekend. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now you hang with me this morning. Reading the history is vital because our faith is the only faith, the true faith, that's rooted in history. If these historical facts are not true, we can pack it in. As Paul said, we are of all people the most to be pitied. So I'll read the history as a backdrop to the theology and the spiritual aspects of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that I want you to see and understand and be reminded of this morning. Easter 2021. So think back now to the changed thief that was dying next to Jesus. He represents what Easter is all about. And it is this. The crucified and risen Christ has the power to change a person's life from the inside out. And that change will be evidenced in the way the person lives. Let me say that again. The crucified and risen Christ has the power to change a person's life from the inside out. Even that person who's sitting here right now not paying attention. Even that person that's sitting there distracted by those around them. The crucified and risen Christ has the power to change a person's life from the inside out. And that change will be evidenced in the way that person lives, no matter how much longer they have to live. You with me? With me? 
So let's talk first about the thief's certain resurrection with Christ. With, with, with Scripture's account of the Easter weekend as a backdrop, let's walk together through our sermon text in Colossians chapter 2 and see what happened spiritually to the thief. Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. We're going to see what happened to the thief and what has happened to most of you in here and what needs to happen to some of you from a theological perspective. And, and, and again, guess what? If you're saved this morning, if you're a Christian, this is what happened to you. And guess what else? If you're not a Christian, this can happen to you today, this morning, right here, if God wills. For today is the day of salvation. So Colossians chapter 2, you got to work with me now. Verse 11, in him, stop right there, in him, in him, all that we're about to talk about happens in Christ, in Christ. Without him, it doesn't happen. Without him, we are in a hopeless state. Without him, we are in big trouble because we cannot save ourselves from the wrath of God that is hanging over our heads. We all need Jesus desperately. So in him also, you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now, what is Paul talking about here? I know, what, what in the heck? What is this circumcision stuff and body of flesh? What, what's going on here? Paul here is speaking of spiritual circumcision. Now, I'm not going to give you, I'm assuming and hoping most of you know what we're talking about when we're talking about circumcision. For those younger that might not know what we're talking about, ask your daddy about it when you get home, okay? But Paul is talking about spiritual circumcision, not physical. How do we know that? Because he tells us it's a circumcision made without hands. It's not, you're not going to the operating room and the doctor's not there with his hands cutting off stuff, okay? It's made without hands. So Paul is definitely referring to a spiritual circumcision, not a physical one. He's talking about a circumcision of the heart, which both the Old Testament and New Testament speak of. A couple of examples. Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 4, verse 4. He says, circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds. So we definitely, desperately need this circumcision of our dead hearts. Then Paul speaks of it in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. He says, for no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision, listen, outward 
and physical. But a Jew, a a person of God, God's chosen people, a Jew is one inwardly. And circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. So this is huge to understand this. Paul is talking about a spiritual circumcision of our heart. Quick side note, very quick, hopefully. Contrary to popular belief, circumcision in the Old Testament is not a forerunner for baptism in the New Testament. It is an old covenant foreshadowing of the new covenant circumcision of the heart. Now, that's another message for another day. We've dealt with it in much detail in their past when we had the big baptism controversy several years ago, many, many years ago, in fact, okay? But I thought I would mention it here again and remind you because our Presbyterian brothers love to use this text to connect the rite of circumcision, the physical rite of circumcision, with the practice of infant baptism. But while the key words might be there, the theological connection is not because Paul is not talking about physical circumcision. He's talking about spiritual circumcision. It's a circumcision made without hands, okay? All right, another message for another day. Then he says, putting off the body of the flesh refers to the fact that saved people are no longer under the dominion of the flesh. Why? Why? Because of the circumcision of Christ. Now, what's he talking about there? You mean, you mean to tell me I'm not uh, under the dominion of the flesh because at, uh, at age eight days old, Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be circumcised? No, no, no. That's not what he's talking about. The circumcision of Christ, he's referring to the cutting off of Christ. When did that happen? If you were here Friday night, you know. At the cross. At the cross, Jesus was cut off. He was circumcised from fellowship with his father. And because of that act by Jesus at the cross, our sins have been paid for. And we are no longer... We who have, are trusting Jesus no longer are under the rulership or the dominion of our old fleshly self. We are no longer our Lord. And that's a good thing. Jesus is now our Lord. Okay? Let, let's listen to Paul talk about it in Romans chapter 6. Okay? Keep your finger in Colossians 2. And... Uh, Let's, let's read about it in Romans chapter 6 because Paul elaborates on it a little bit more there. Romans chapter 6. Remember now, don't lose sight of what we're talking about. We're talking about what, this is what happened to the thief, to the saved thief, and what has happened to every believer in here this morning and every believer all over the world, okay? Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? 
Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And then here we have our life verse, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. United with Christ in his death and resurrection. True for the thief, true for you if you're a believer this morning. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin, body of flesh, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. And neither will we, because we're united with him. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider. In other words, I don't care what you're feeling like this morning. I don't care how emotional you are or are not. You must consider this true. You must take this to the bank because God has said it. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ has got to do today in a lot of areas. But that's a lot of other messages for a lot of other days, okay? You must consider, count it true, put it into your account. It's an accounting term, okay? When you deposit your paycheck, you might be having a bad day. But that money is there because it's been reckoned to your account. It's been put into your account. Listen, the sinlessness of Jesus Christ has been Put into your account, okay? And you are alive. So you've got to consider that true. Consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, let me tell you something else. If this is theological gobbledygook for you this morning, that's not a good sign. That is not a good sign of the condition of your heart. And you need to be born again. The Christian eats this up. The Christian says, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more about my union with Jesus. Tell me more about my connection with him. So if this is, if this is boring to you, not a good sign. Not a good sign. Listen, this describes what we just read in Romans 6, describes what happened to the thief. Spiritually, theologically. It also describes what happened to every saved person in this room and in the world and in all of history and what can happen to you today if you're, you're not a Christian. Just think about it. You walked in here today bored with theology, not interested in theology. And you can, walk in, you can walk out today hungry for the Word of God. 
hungry to know him, hungry to know what he's like, hungry to know Jesus, hungry to know from a theological and spiritual standpoint what Jesus has done for you. What a great Easter that would be. What a great Easter that would be. Verse 12, back to Colossians. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. That's just a short sentence, pretty much summing up what we just read in Romans 6. Baptism is a picture of the death of our old self with Christ and our resurrection with him to new life. This is why we immerse. You go under the water, picture of your burial, death and burial with Jesus, raised up out of the water, picture of your resurrection to new life with and in Jesus. Our old self dies spiritually. We are raised to new life in Christ. Just like God raised Jesus on that first Easter morning, God raises all of his people to new life. The thief is a perfect example of that, right? Isn't it a per- beautiful example? After he is reborn, he goes from mocking Jesus to immediately defending Jesus. You have to think about it. You have to study it. You have to pray about it. He's, he's a changed person. He, his old self is dead. He's been raised to new life. He is now who was mocking Jesus with his buddy on the other side of Jesus' cross. He's now defending Jesus openly, verbally, a dramatic change. He's been raised to new and totally different life. Dear believer, that's what happened to you. Dear unbeliever, that can't happen to you today. On Easter Sunday, 2021. What a day. Oh, glorious day, just like we sang. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive. God makes us alive. We don't do this. We can't do this. That's why many across the globe will walk out after hearing a sermon like this totally unchanged because they can't do it. They can't make themselves alive. God's got to do it. And he uses the, the preaching of his word to do it. That's why we preach. That's why we teach. That's why we open this book every Sunday and every Wednesday and every Sunday school class when that cranks back up. Oh, don't you want it? I'm, I'm hungry for it. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all, 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 every single one of them, all of our trespasses. God made the thief and us alive. We were dead in sin, and God made us alive. And coming with this new life is total forgiveness, total, forgi- absolutely Total forgiveness. Every sin of thought, word, and deed forgiven under the blood, washed clean. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it. I love that. Nailing it to the cross. How did this happen? God took all the demands of the law that stood against us, and they were many. 
and canceled them. Canceled them by nailing them in a spiritual sense, but a very real sense. In fact, if everything, the spiritual stuff is the most real stuff, okay? He nailed every one of our sins to the cross with his son who was paying our debt with his precious blood. So, so to sum it up, this text in Colossians and the Romans 6 passage we read describes what happened to the saved thief. It describes what happened to me. It describes what happened to most of you today. And it describes what we are praying will happen to you if you are yet to be born again. In salvation, our cold, stony, dead hearts that we were born with have been circumcised through the circumcision or death of Jesus on the cross. The cutting off of Jesus from fellowship with the Father. The punishment we deserved, Jesus took in our place, experiencing hell for us. Our old self has been spiritually crucified and buried with Christ. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, we have been raised to new life in Christ. Coming with this new life is total and absolute forgiveness. Every single sin, the big ones, the little ones, the ones you think nobody knows about, the sins of thought, word, and deed, they have all been forgiven, washed clean by the blood of Christ. Every single sin of every single born-again person has been nailed to the cross of Jesus and the, um, the massive debt has been canceled. This is glorious good news. This is the glorious good news of the gospel. This is the absolutely amazing good news of Easter weekend. This is what the saved thief would probably tell you about if he were here. Let's begin to ponder that, okay? Let's, let's speculate together about the thief's probable, probable, okay, not going to read it in Scripture, but based on scriptural truths, the thief's probable testimony about Christ. We'll start it this morning, finish it next week. One day we will meet this guy. Every Christian in here, we will meet this guy. If, if you die not a Christian, you won't meet this guy. In fact, you won't meet anybody. The Bible says you'll be all alone, all alone in a place of total blackness, total agony, total torment, all alone. ACDC might have sang, my friends are going to be there too, highway to hell. But guess what? They won't see their friends. They will be all alone. Every individual member of that band will be all alone, suffering eternal torment that they could have allowed Jesus to pay for them on the cross. But they, were, they refused. But one day, we believers, we will see this guy. We will meet this guy. I can't wait. I can't wait. Have you, have you ever pondered, you know, of course, after beholding Jesus for a few hundred years, maybe, I don't know. But after beholding Jesus, there's a lot of folks I'm looking forward to meeting in heaven. People like Paul, uh, 
People like Rahab. Man, I can't wait to meet Rahab. Saved prostitute. Uh, I can't wait to meet Jonathan's unnamed armor bearer. The guy that told Jonathan, go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. I can't wait to meet that guy. I love people like that. I can't wait to meet Martin Luther. I can't wait to meet Mary. Yeah, all of them. (laughs) There's a bunch of them. But Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary Magdalene. Can't wait to meet these ladies. Charles Spurgeon. Can't wait. And then I can't wait. There's friends I can't wait to see again. Jim Lingerfeld, Chip King. Save family Mary. Just can't wait. Can't wait. But near the top of the list of people I'm eager to see is this guy. This guy, this saved thief. Now, what are some of the things he might say to us? When we meet him, when we see him, what are some of the things that he might say to us? And what, if, what if he could be here today on this Easter? What, what, what might he say to us, okay? I'm going to give a credit to Colin, this month's book of the month, Colin Smith. You need to get it. It's a very cheap little book. You can read it in one setting. It's about 80 or 90 pages. It's Heaven, How I Got Here, the story of the thief on the cross. And so I give credit to that book for a lot of the thoughts I have today, okay? Because it's what the thief would tell us. And the first thing he might tell us was, is there's a big difference between believing in God and fearing God. There's a big difference between believing in God and fearing God. Remember what the saved thief said to the other thief. Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? Do you not fear God? Listen, most everybody, even people who aren't Christians, say they believe in God. I think the poll numbers are up in the 90 percentile or whatever. They believe in God. But for most of them... It's a God of their own making, a God with all the hard edges softened, a God with no wrath, a God who is not sovereign, a God who is not in charge, because they would never give that up, a God who sends no one to hell, a God who is okay with same-sex marriage and abortion and people canceling their sexual identity that they were born with. A Santa Claus God, a cosmic vending machine, a therapist God who's there when we need him, but we still pretty much run our lives. We've talked about the fear of the Lord often at RCC, so we won't do it here again for time's sake. But know this, the Bible speaks of it often, and it's a vital part of believing faith. In fact, Proverbs tells us what? It's the beginning of knowledge which includes the knowledge of God. Colin Smith in his book puts it this way, people who say they believe in God often give little or no place to him in their lives. But fearing God means you give weight to him in your decisions and your priorities. Pleasing him becomes your first consideration and greatest joy. Pleasing God becomes your first consideration. That's job one and greatest joy. I'm so thankful that that's so true for so many of you here today. 
And I'm praying for the ones for which it's not true right now. I do want to call your attention before we move to the next point to the scripture text in John chapter 2, verse 23 to 25 that we've, we've noted before under this subject. Talking about Jesus, it says, Now when he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. God knows you. God knows your heart. He knows what you're thinking. He knows if your belief is real. He knows if you're fearing the Father. He knows. He knows us through and through. So what does that text tell us? It tells us very clearly that there is a belief that is not saving belief. Jim Eliff calls it wasted faith. He's got a little book and I think we've got it back in our library. Wasted faith. A belief in God that is not saving belief. It's a belief that is absent the proper fear of the Lord. In his words of rebuke to the still unsaved thief, we see very clearly the beginning of wisdom in this saved thief. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And that wisdom would lead this former criminal to ask the only person with the power to save him, to save him. And he did. Secondly, the thief might tell us a God who fears, I mean, I'm sorry, a God who forgives inspires hope. A God who forgives inspires hope. Remember the thief hanging there in all his pain. He's witnessing everything that's going on on that Good Friday. He's witnessing everything. And as he was dying, Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. The thief heard that. The thief heard that. The the saved thief And the unsaved thief probably heard it too, but the saved thief actually heard Jesus speak those words. And and it moved him. Like all the words of Jesus should do. It moved him. But it's interesting that the two thieves, that's intentional. God is sovereign. Two thieves. One representing God's chosen The other representing those that want it their own way. You know, one to give us constant hope. The other to keep us from presumption in our faulty belief in God. But anyway, the the thief heard those words, Father, forgive them. They don't, they don't know what they're doing. And it, it gave him hope. It gave him hope. If God could forgive the people who, were, who had just tortured and were, who were crucifying his son, if God could forgive the soldiers who had just nailed him to the cross, the thief is thinking, maybe he'll forgive me. Maybe he'll forgive me. 
And he did. And this transaction of forgiveness began with the thief fearing God and recognizing his sinful condition. What did the thief say? Remember, we are receiving the due rewards for our deeds. In other words, we're getting what we deserve. We're sinners. We're getting what we deserve. And, and, and you know the answer to this. If we were to get what we deserve, what would it be? Hell forever. Because the wages of sin is death. But we're not getting that. Why? Because of Easter. Because of Colossians 2, 11 to 14. Because of Romans 6, 1 through 11. We're not getting what we deserve. And ultimately, neither did the saved thief. Hallelujah. We'll continue his testimony next week, but I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Have you, have you done what the thief did? Have you asked God to forgive you? Have you asked God to remember you when he consummates his kingdom? Do you have a godly and respectful fear of the Lord? If not, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Because I think there's a third thing the thief would tell us if he could be with us this Easter morning. I think he would tell us, don't wait to trust Jesus. Don't wait to trust Jesus. And I know what some of you might be thinking. You may be saying, well, wait a minute. Hey, I'll just do what the thief did. I'll live my life the way I want to live it, and I'll wait to the last minute. That way I get to live my life the way I want to live it and then slide into heaven right, at, right under the wire. I remember in our former neighborhood back in Lothonia, Union Grove Court, we had a guy that lived up the street, uh, Brenda and uh, I forget his, the husband's name, but the wife's name was Brenda and they lived behind, we call it Bush Gardens because they let their bushes grow so high you couldn't even see their house. Okay, But anyway, we would have spiritual conversation with this guy and he would, uh, one day we got to talk about the second coming of Jesus, and, and he said, yeah, well, that's, that's when I'm going to become a Christian, when I see Jesus coming. Oh, yeah, right, okay. When I see him coming, then I'll, I'll but until then, I'm just going to do what I want to do. So if you're thinking like that, I'll just do what the thief did. I'll wait till the last minute. I got two responses to that. Number one, you want to risk that, really? What if you die suddenly? What if you're not on a deathbed for an extended period of time? You really want to risk that. But number two, have you ever considered this? This may have been the thief's first encounter with Jesus. You ever thought about that? He obviously lived a pretty rough life. He may have never heard about Jesus until that moment. It's very possible that he trusted Christ at his first opportunity. It could be that he asked Jesus to save him the first time Jesus was near. Listen, there are some of you here today who have had numerous opportunities to trust Jesus. He has been near to you your entire life. You've grown up in a Christian home with a loving Christian mom and dad. Jesus has always been near to you. And he's near to you right now. This Easter morning. So I ask you again, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? 
I urge you, look to him as the dying thief did. Trust him now. Trust him to save you. Trust him to forgive you. Trust him to bring you into his kingdom. Trust him to give you new life, to raise you just like he raised Jesus on that first Easter morning. Christ is risen. He is alive. And he is able. What a glorious Easter it would be if God would give you new birth. The Lord willing, we'll hear more from the saved thief next Sunday morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this Easter. Thank you for letting us share another Easter morning together. I pray for those right now with my, with my whole heart, with all that I am, who need to trust Jesus right now, not wait any longer. Today is the day of salvation. Please save them, Father. Please do that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.